chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And at that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galatians, whose blood Pilate had mangled with the sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galatians suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galatians? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Of those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I've found none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Today, uh, when I go, go on this message, it's, it's titled, The World Will Try to Cut You Down, But God Won't. And this is such a message that's so dear to my heart that I may sound a little passionate about it because I'm very passionate about this subject. Now, I remember, and Peter remember, junior high was not good. Was junior high bad for you guys? Junior high was rough because we didn't have those anti-bullying things or anything like this. It was just part of life. And I remember that I had, with my tremor, that basically I was called the moving earthquake, and I shared this with you before, that I was 130 pounds in junior high, my head was half the size, my lips were exactly the same size as they are now. So I was called bongo lips, big lips, rhymes with tigger, and lips, and boy, and then I was called N. All through junior high, in an all-white school, I was called N. And I remember thinking about my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Sluter, and Mrs. Sluter came out to me, and I distinctly remember that I was crying because I was tired of people making, cutting me down. I was tired of it. And I remember her sitting down with me and putting her arm around me and saying, Kevin, you are a wonderful, wonderful sweet boy. And she went on and on and said, you know, didn't, didn't kind of justify what they're doing or didn't give them excuses. But she said this to me. She goes, one day, Kevin, when you become an adult like me, you'll realize that adults don't do this. Adults don't make fun of people anymore. Adults are sweet. Adults are kind. Adults tolerate you. And adults will accept you for just who you are. Now, going back from there in 1973 as a fifth grader to 83 to 93 to 2003 to 2013, all the way to 2019, I watched this stuff going on in t on our television and reading articles. We have a president of the United States that went on Twitter and bullied and cut down John McCain, who represents the Republican Party, who passed away uh, last year. Then we see McCain's daughter fire back at President Trump. 
Then we see a conservative a lawyer who happens to be married to Ke uh, Kelly Kane, and that, that basically said Donald Trump is a narcissistic and unfit to be president. Then Donald Trump twitters and says, you're the biggest loser. Am I in junior high again? <laughs> because you're just going, are oh, you got to be kidding? Was Miss Sluter wrong when she told this fifth grade child that as adults, we're not going to do this? And it's interesting to me because I look at this and I think this is something that's so powerful and deep with me because I've been cut down a lot in my life that I realize, and I put this on the screen, that we live in what's called a cut-down society. We do. We teach our kids not to bully. We teach our kids to tolerate. We teach our kids to accept one another for who they are. But yet we as adults have tendencies and difficulties doing this. Now, what is a cut-down? Now, the thing is, they have what's called an urban dictionary, which I enjoy not reading, but looking at the definitions. That's when you know you're boring when you read the dictionary. This is a fascinating story. It's a story about everything. <laughs> and so, in the definition, it says this, a cut-down is the act of bringing a person down with a short, nasty twist of words. Now, in ninth grade, I learned how to kind of fight back when it comes to cut downs. And I was very good at cutting people down. When they started with me, of my physical attributes, then I said, okay, it's a free thing. But I realized at a young age, people can give it but can't take it, right? And so I had this ninth grade girl, and I was in ninth grade, that made fun of my tremor, made fun of my lips, and I said, okay, we'll play that game. And so she had excessive Luggage back here? Is that a nice place to say? <laughs> and so, so therefore, I simply said, thank you, you little two-ton canary, and I chirped behind her. Chirp, chirp. <laughs> and she broke down and cried, left the church, walked home in the rain, and everyone is jumping on me. She never came to church again. And in my head, I made a decision in ninth grade never to ever make fun of anyone. Never. And so these, what I'm knowing, and in our culture we see this, that what happens is when somebody starts bandering back and forth name-calling, then it gets a little vicious, doesn't it? And then it gets a little personal. Then what happens, one person gets mad, the other person's getting mad, they start pushing each other, and then it turns into violence. So why do we even start? Now, Steve King, from Iowa representative, now, I've, I've been known in my family as a master manipulator. And, and, and I kind of take pride in that because I can get people to kind of jokingly fight each other. But it takes a while. This guy's a master manipulator, this guy. He puts his picture up on Twitter. I don't know if it's up there. Did you see this? Insert picture here. <laughs> I like that one, right in the middle. But he said this, and this says a lot. One side has about 8 trillion bullets, while the other side doesn't know which bathroom to use. Now, I'm showing you how powerful and manipulative this is, because this is based on fear. So you have one side that says, I'm not giving up my gun rights, my, my, um, my Second Amendment rights. Then you have the other side that says, I'm not giving up my civil rights. 
So what happens, you have two people, two forces of groups that are based on fear, that look at life, they're losing something. And so it doesn't produce unity, but it produces this craziness that happens here. It's fear-driven. Both sides are afraid to lose their civil and their gun rights. And so on the road to fear ends up having a problem here. This is where I've noticed in watching the New Zealand thing, and it's based on fear, that a white supremacist can go into a mosque or literally take down or literally cut down 50 lives with an automatic weapon. And so I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. And so if you look on the screen, when we ramp up our cut-down language, it always inspires someone to take a violent cut-down action. You see this all the time. Why in the world John McCain's widow, who hadn't, wasn't in this little thing going back and forth, received death threats? Because when people start this little badgering thing, it always leads to some crazy person taking it far beyond. And so again, we've got to be very careful. And I hate to say it, that sometimes we live in our country that we have fear as well. You know, I was a part of our denomination meeting this, uh, yesterday. I'm part of the MEG board, which is called the Minister Educational Guidance Board. And I'm realizing a lot of our churches have what's called fear teams that basically are outside the church looking for any crazy people. That they, they want to be very cautious that this doesn't happen. And so we're escalating this. And so when we ramp up our cut-down language, it always inspires to take violent cut-down actions. This is why we see white supremacist terrorists who attack black churches, who attack synagogues, attack mosques. And we see even through ISIS terrorism. And I hate to say it, we are going in a direction that we shouldn't go. That's why I put it on the screen. We are going in the wrong direction here. This morning gospel reading, that uh, was read, the last scripture that we stood up to, is so relevant in our world today. In fact, if Jesus could have wrote this this week when he said this, because people in Jesus' day believed that God was a cut-down God. They believed it. And a lot of people tend to think that, and I see this a lot, that God is on our side, Right? God is on my side. I'm a pastor. God's on my side. That implies that God is not on your side. And so if God is not on your side, then therefore God is against you. But he's for me, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so this is what was going on back in those days because they were asking Jesus some perplexing questions of what was happening here. You have to understand some of the Galileans back there, and Jesus was a Galilean. They went to offer sacrifices into the temple, and guess what? They all got cut down, all got destroyed in a worship service, in a, a temple. And so therefore, it was Pilate's soldiers, by Pilate telling them to do it, that he was a Roman governor back then, that he had them all killed within a temple service. This has happened thousands of years ago. And so he knew they were perplexed. He knew. So he, Jesus said this. Do you think that because the Galileans who suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Basically, do you think God did this? Do 
Do you think God was so mad at them that he just destroyed them? No. He didn't do this. Jesus flat out said no. In fact, there was a temple that fell down and killed 18, 18 or some people. And basically, it's funny because when we watch the news, and there's, a, there's something on the news that as a freak accident, what do we say? Or what do we hear the news say? Well, apparently it was an act of God. Right? So somehow, you know, there's this guy that lives in the United States. I read an article a year ago. This guy was struck by lightning twice. And I was thinking, if I was struck by lightning, I would start to think, God does not like me if I got struck by lightning twice. But these freak accidents are not an act of God. This is what Jesus was saying. But then Jesus says something that I think a lot of us have problems interpreting this. Because he's saying, no, this temple, that's not of God. No, God did not cause this um, um, uh, the tower that fell on him. God did not cause it. But then Jesus says this that seems to contradict. Look at Luke chapter 13. He says, no. But he goes, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Now, I would go, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you just said no, and now you're telling me that I'm going to perish as they did if I don't repent. But this is a lot of things that we don't, that sometimes we interpret this differently. Now, follow me on this. It's on the screen. Jesus was warning them that they were headed in the wrong direction with their thinking about that God was violent. It was the wrong direction for them to think they were justified to be violent against people who thought were enemies of God. Jesus knew the kind of cut-downs mindset eventually escalates even bloodshed, so he tells them to repent. Repentance simply means to stop, to turn around, and go a different direction. A lot of us think of the word repentance, that we over-spiritualize that word, but repentance to me also is a practical way of thinking. Because what he was encouraging them to do is, look, repent, stop this way you're thinking. Because they were thinking, okay, you're killing us, we'll kill you. I was clear, you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And he was trying to say, don't, you're going to be dead if you don't repent. You're going to die if you don't repent. And so he's saying, this doesn't work here. It, it's not going to work. And so the Romans, who were most powerful empire in history of the Jews, were under this oppression rule. So many Jews were wanting this violent revolution here, and, and they thought God was on their side, so he's going to help them cut down the Romans. And Jesus was going, dude, that is a recipe for disaster. Now, I don't know if you have had any fantasies about somebody that hurt you. You want to hurt them, right? Hurt people hurt people. You know that, right? And so when you're going, oh, I'm telling you, I have a weird mind here that can go any direction you want it to go. In a sense, God had to tell me a lot of things. Like, you got to repent. you got to stop thinking this. you got to start going, because it's going to destroy you. You know, they say resentment and bitterness is swallowing poison and hoping the other person would die. It doesn't make any sense. And this is what Jesus is trying to get to. And so when Jesus, in 70 AD, 
the Romans got tired of this violent Jewish rebellion and came in and totally destroyed Jerusalem, totally destroyed and slaughtered many Jewish people, and the rest were scattered. And so the problem is, then he goes into this, this uh, illustration about the fig tree. Now follow me this. The sermon series is titled Potential. And potential is good, or your potential, if you go in the same direction, is not a good way of going. But he talks about a fig tree. And he talks about the gardener, that this fig tree wasn't producing figs. And so the owner of the gardener, the owner of the garden, told the gardener, tear it down. It's not just get rid of it. Cut it down. Literally, cut it down. Because it's not producing any fruit. Then it says the gardener then convinced the owner of the vineyard to give it one more year. What is our interpretation of this? The vineyard owner is God, right? The gardener is Jesus. And so this is interesting to me because Jesus says, I and the Father, I and the Father are one, right? And so when we look at this and understand, I am the I am the Father, the Father and I are one. Unless God and Jesus have this duplexity mindset that's totally messed up and he goes crazy every once in a while because we view God as God as some angry God that's not on anyone's side and we view Jesus as trying to calm his dad down so he won't do harm to the world, right? This is not what it's talking about. Follow me. God does not have a split personality. Your pastor might, but God doesn't. God the Father is not angry, impatient old man where Jesus, his merciful son, has to constantly appear his Father's anger. Jesus is a perfect mirror of God the Father. Get that? He's a perfect mirror of God the Father. What we see is Jesus shows us what God is like. We humans are actually like the impatient owner of the vineyard. We are the transactional ones who quickly want to cut down and get rid of anything or anyone who does not, who, who isn't, is not doing something good for us. This story shows us that God is a patient gardener, loving, working to bring forth the potential. So how does this apply for us in 2019 living in the United States? And I think Jesus would apply the same warning to us as he did them. Don't get into this cut down culture. Don't get into this rhetoric of going back and forth because you are not going to win in this, in this little game. Because in this game of cut downs, there ain't no winners. There's no winners at all. We're not. Repentance is not about stopping something that's very destructive. But on the screen, repentance is only is an invitation of something that is life-giving. And so when we begin to give life in a situation that's causing us to have life drained out of us, we need to give life in that situation. God knows our potential more than other people know our potential. God knows that we are patient. He is patient and we're not. God is gracious and we're, we're really not as gracious as we think we are. God is loving and sometimes we need to grasp on his love. 
back on the screen. And it is a story which invites us to find our potential by coming into the life of this God. We come into the life of this God by choosing to turn around and follow the ways of Jesus Christ. And his way is not to cut people down, but to give them life. In our Old Testament passage, it was a beautiful invitation of, in the book of Isaiah, and a beautiful invitation to give life to others. Follow me on the screen. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no mercy, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. Seek the Lord while you may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And to our God... For he will abundantly get this pardon. Abundantly. That's you and I. Back on the screen. In our cut-down culture, there is a desperate need for those who follow in the way of Jesus the gardener. The world needs people who live in the flow of grace, receiving it through Christ and passing it on. Let us be those people who are giving the fruit of love in an often loveless world. Let us let us repent and come to Jesus. He is a source of life. In closing, I wanted to share that Mrs. Sluter, my little fifth grade teacher, if I could go back in a DeLorean and listen to her again, what she was saying, I think, wasn't about adults. Don't make funny adults or say if adults tolerate, what she was saying in a deep way to me was, you're a sweet young boy. Stay that way. Don't get into this culture. Stay sweet. Stay giving. Because that culture can, can, can form you into someone you don't like. And so therefore, my whole mission in life, no judgment, just love, I refuse to let the culture change who I am. And it has to be a daily choice. And when I do this, it affects my marriage in a positive way. It affects this church in a positive way. It affects the people that I'm around in a positive way. I'm not perfect, far from it. Talk to Jennifer, talk to Pastor Ruben, talk to Brooke, talk to any of you that know me. But I strive to be the young boy within myself that cares for people, that loves people as Jesus loves us. May God bless you and may God bless his word. <laughs>